Hosea chapter 2. Now let's get a, a, a refresher. Let's remember because it's been two weeks since we did chapter 1. Remember this, this book opens uh, in chapter 1 when the Lord began to speak to Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, take for yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. So that's the what behind this, this book. And then the why for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And then God says, so he went, so Hosea went, this prophet Hosea to the uh, people of Judah, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and, he, and she conceived and bore him a son. And remember, that son's name was Jezreel, which was a place of atrocity, which means to, to scatter. For in a while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel in the house of Jehu, talking about the scattering of the people of Israel when the Assyrians will come soon. And so this is just a, 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 a shocking judgment. It shall come to pass in that day, verse 5, that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. That's that place from 1 Kings 21 where Jezebel and Ahab murdered Naboth and took his vineyard. And God was highly offended by that. And then it says that Hosea's wife, Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said, name her no mercy. And then, then she bore a son, and God said, name him, not my people. I mean, this is quite a family we have here. These are my children, place of bloodshed, no mercy, and not my people. But see, the, the point that we discovered in chapter 1 is that to God, idolatry is adultery. And that is a shocking thing. We have to really understand this. Because if God sees, if, if all of our sin is in some way, shape, or form idolatry, and, and God sees idolatry as adultery, then what does that tell us about how God sees us? It tells us so much about the relationship through God's eyes. Not the way we oftentimes see the way God sees us, but the way He sees us. He sees it as adultery. So, that's the way God views his relationship with us, his covenant with us. That there's, oh, because the root of all sin, we said, is twisted love. Remember that? And so when, when God begins to work in our lives, he's untwisting our love. Hosea is a story of choice. Everything that you will hear over these weeks through the the book of Hosea, is a, it's a story of choice. You have to understand that, that, that Hosea chose Gomer, and Gomer chose prostitution. It's important to understand this distinction. Gomer wasn't, wasn't see, there, there are people in the world today and have always been that were born into prostitution by no, by no wrongdoing of their own. They, there's people who are, who are forced into uh, sex trafficking situations and, and people who there, there are, have always been and continue to be. And it should grieve our heart that there are women today who, who, who practice prostitution in order to live, to feed their children, to feed themselves, to survive. That's not the case here. Gomer chooses this. This is her choice. She has a husband who can provide all that she needs. She chooses it. 
which brings up this question. And let's just be honest, because all of us have, have asked this question. At least, I think all of us who have met God have asked this question in our life. We've asked the question, does God's grace mean that it doesn't matter if I sin? Because God's going to forgive me anyway. All of us have thought this, wrestled with this in this moment of temptation and struggle, and we think, if God's going to forgive me anyway, now it is true that in Christ we are completely and utterly forgiven. We're justified. We're acquitted by faith alone. Not because of anything we've done, but because of Him and all that He's done. And it is true that God's grace, for those who've been born again, it covers past sin, present sin, future sin. So does sin matter? Doesn't it feel contradictory? Wait, wait, wait. All my sin, my past sin, my present sin, my future sin, it's all. So when we get to sin, when we get to a moment of temptation and we're, we know that what we're thinking about doing is wrong, what we're tempted to do is wrong, and we think to ourselves, but if my future sin is forgiven, then God already knew that I was going to do what I'm about to do, and he already forgave it, so I might as well do it. See, Hosea 2 answers this question. Does sin matter? Hosea 2 says, oh, yes, it matters. And, and here's one of the primary reasons that it matters. If you have your listening, God, listen. Because sin is not simply breaking God's law. But it's breaking God's heart. It's breaking his heart. Instead of trying to, and this is what we do. We, we, we exclude grace into a category of a thing. When you, are, when you are telling yourself in your mind that my sin is forgiven in the past, forgiven in the present, and it's going to be forgiven, it's forgiven in the future, so God already knew that I was going to come to this moment. What you are doing, whether knowing or unknowingly, you are relegating the grace of God to a thing. And it is not a thing. You're saying, well, I'm forgiven. It's forgiven. Well, no, what, what do you mean? By what? By who? By, but you're, you're missing something. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's a real person. It's interesting, moms and dads. When you feel a temptation, imagine you feel a temptation to do something. And then you find out or you realize 
that if I do this, it will certainly harm one of my children, you stop. You stop. Because in that moment, you realize it's not a thing, it's a person. It's a person. That's, that's what you have to understand about grace. Chapter 2, verse 2. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Now, they, they bring charges. These, these, are, this, these are terms of, of litigation. God's saying, here's what I want to plead with you about. Here's what's on my heart. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Just a point of reference so you don't, your mind's not going all over the place. What is it that's between her breasts? Well, her heart is there. And what's physically there in this moment that we'll find later in this chapter is jewelry that hangs around her neck that symbolizes these false gods that she worships. See, what we see here is how passionate God is about his people and one of the things we need to understand about his passion is that he's wounded by his people's unfaithfulness. That's what God, God you know what God does in, in, in Hosea 2? God bears his heart. And when you see God's heart, you realize how much his heart is different from the way you expected it to be. The way he sees you is so different than the way you would assume that he sees you. But we're so easily drawn away, aren't we? And, and why? Why? What is it? See, we, we're, listen, we're never drawn away by things better than God. No. We're drawn away by things that make us feel like God. That's what draws us away. Twisted love. They're not better. See, what we want is we want something to make us feel affirmed. We want something to make us feel accepted. We want something to make us feel desired. Something that makes me feel strong. Something that makes me feel secure, safe. All of these things, these are these things that make us feel like God. So we, we, we're drawn into these things. We're searching for something to identify ourselves with the way that we want to be identified. You see, the, the, the idols that you're drawn to are different than the idols that I'm drawn to. You're drawn to idols that help you feel identified the way you want to be identified. That's the thing about us is that we, we're, we're individualized. We, we're, we, we customize our sin according to what we want to be identified as. 
So we, we are drawn to find our identity in particular things that allure us as particular people. But you see, the thing about it is that there's, there's no idol. There's no idol that you can serve. There's no idol that you can pursue that can find that's going to bring you satisfaction. But the, the idol doesn't know you like the maker knows you. See, your maker knows you. You're the maker of the idol that you're searching for yourself in. How ridiculous is that? If you want to find yourself, go to the one who made you. That's where we find our greatest purpose is in his purpose for us. But somehow we have to go in the wilderness, don't we, to figure that out. We're just so bent and so broken. We're born with twisted love. And the longer we live apart from him, the more twisted that love becomes. And we just twist it and twist it and twist it. And it's not until we find ourselves in the wilderness. You know, we have to come to the end of this rope somewhere. We get to the end of this line and we just realize that we can't untwist this love. And so what God is saying to his people, he's saying, he's pleading with them, stop pretending that your idols are real. Stop pretending that they satisfy you. Those little images that are hanging around your neck, they're not real. Those things that you're doing, those things that you're pursuing, those identities that you're trying to gravitate towards, they're not real. Stop pretending that they're real. Turn your eyes to me. See, in verse 3, he says, Lest I'll strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness. You see that? And set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. See, choice. Who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Can you see those? You know what? The wool and the linen are the things that cover our bodies. And then you notice how it's in response to that. God says, I'm going to strip you naked. Because you're, you are giving credit to your idols for all of these things. That even as God is pleading with his wife, she is in actively in that moment. That's us, his wife. Actively in that moment pursuing other lovers. See, Gomer is such a picture of us. She tried to find her identity in her lovers. And why? Think about this. Because she never, she never identified with her new identity as chosen and loved. See, Hosea chose her and he loves her. And rather than allowing that identity to become her identity, what does she do? She rejects that identity and then chases after other things. 
Think about it. Gomer had all of her needs met in Hosea. She could have had so many of her desires fulfilled within the context of her beautiful, loving marriage. But she looked outside of Hosea to get her needs and her wants fulfilled. See, in verse 5, she said, I'm going to go after my lovers. Look, who give me bread and water, wool, linen, and oil, and my drink. So what does God say to a people who break his heart by chasing after other things? See, here's what you would expect God to say. You'd expect God to be like you and me and to say, you know what? You want that? Take that. You want that? You can have that. Get out of here. Get lost. I'm done with you. I'm sick of you. Because you know what we do? We say, well, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve for you to be this way. Haven't I done this for you and this for you and this for you and, and this is the thanks I get? Isn't that how we do it? That's exactly how we do it. And so why doesn't God just say the heck with the whole thing? But what is the very next word? Verse 6, therefore, uh uh-oh, therefore, therefore, I'm just going to kill everybody. Therefore, I'm going to boot you right out of here. Therefore, I'm done with, I'm sick of you. See, if you don't know God, if you've never met the rock in the wilderness, then you think, therefore, I'm about to banish you from my presence forever. I'm about to stomp you into the ground. Wish doom on you. Allow my heart to be filled with bitterness towards you. But you see, I wonder, what what do you think it is about God that makes him most unlike us? Is it the omniscience of God? Is it the sovereignty of God? What is the one characteristic about God that makes him most unlike you and me? His grace. That's what it is. That's what makes his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways infinitely different than our ways. It's his grace. You know, it's interesting that most of the things that we would think, most of the things that we attribute to being the thing about God that makes him most like us, you start thinking of all the things that pop through your head. They're all things that you have no access to, that you can't be. No, you know why no one ever thinks it's the answer is his grace? Because you and me can do that. That's the one thing we can do. We can show unlimited grace, can't we? What stops you from being just allowing grace to flow through? You know what stops you? You. You can't be sovereign. 
You can't be omniscient. But you could be grace-filled. But we choose not to. Because we choose to fight for our rights. We choose to fight for what we deserve. We choose to fight for what is rightfully ours. The mystery of all mysteries is that God pursues rebels. We show up, we're ready to judge hold accountable, convict. Well, we can wag that finger, can't we? Yeah. And then in the very moment where God should just shove his finger right into my face, he doesn't. He shows me grace. He comes ready to love. Look at verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband for then it was better for me than now. You know what's amazing about 6 and 7? Is that we have a picture in those two verses of Scripture. We have a picture of what God defines and sees blessings as. You know what? You've never been to anybody's house and seen Hosea 2, 6, and 7 on anybody's wall. You ain't never seen a t-shirt with it. There ain't nobody got a tattoo of it. You know why? Because we don't, we don't think that's any good. Nobody's going to just walk in your house and look up on the wall and go, oh, praise the Lord. A hedge up around with thorns walling me in so that I can't find my path. See, we think that's punishment. We think that's uh, restrictive. We think that's bad. And notice now, I want you to see something at the end of verse 7. The response, then she will say, and then this response, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better than, for me than now. That's not genuine. That's not sincere. That's not repentance. How do I know? Because you know what that is? What that is is things are really bad. My life is falling apart. I should go to church. I think I'm going to go to church today. Because it's hard. Because it's bad. And so I, let's go to church today and see if, if, if God will change it or fix it. Or it will be like some magic potion. Let's check a box and get the pressure off. See, a lot of times people get in the wilderness and, and they start burning up under the sun. And so they look for a rock to find shade in, but they're not looking for the rock. 
for the rock. They just want the shade the rock can give. They're thirsty. They just want the water the rock can give. They don't want the rock. That's what that is right there. Two life-changing realities come out of this. Two absolute life-changing realities. Please, God, let this sink into every heart in this room. Number one, God will not make a deal with you for your affection. He will never do this. We try and we try and we try. We want to manipulate God. We think in our minds that somehow we can get God to, to, to do a trade-off. See, I'm thirsty, God, so I'm going to go to church. Will you give me water? I'm thirsty, God, so I'm going to read my Bible. Will you give me water? I'm hot. I need shade. I'm broke. I need money. I'm sick. I need health. I'm this. I need that. We want this and this and this and this and this. We don't want the rock, and we try to manipulate God. Listen, God will not be mocked ever. You will not, you're never going to make some deal with God. It doesn't work that way. He loves you too much. The whole point of what he's doing is to keep you from falling in love with things that can't satisfy. You think he's going to give you another idol? No. No. And number two, everything that God does in your life, everything revolves around the reality that God wants for you. What he wants for you is himself. Everything. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. When you're like, well, why is this happening? Well, what's going on? Well, don't, don't ask that. You don't have to ask that question. The answer is, hey, somehow, some way, this has something to do with what God wants for me. It's himself. Always. The point of the wilderness is always to find the rock. Verse 8, for she did not know that I gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and multiplied her silver and gold. See, you know those, look, look at what's going on here. That, that, that little symbol hanging around her neck to Baal, thanking him for sending the grain and the, and the, 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 the harvest, and God saying, I gave you. The very thing you melted down and made an idol with. I'm the very one. You're thanking God for all these things, and I gave them to you. Therefore, verse 9, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. I will take away, take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness, and I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. Does that sound bad? Huh? Well, why? 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 You see how twisted we are? Somehow, you got this bottle of this nasty-tasting junk. You know this junk tastes so, it's so nasty, it's unbelievable. But your child is sick. And you know they need what's in this bottle. And you're saying, honey, now I know this is going to taste bad, but you need this. This will help you. What kind of a parent says, well, now this isn't going to taste good, so I'm not going to give it to them. You go to the doctor. 
Well, I didn't give it to him because it tasted bad. How do you define blessing? By how it tastes, by how it feels, or by what it leads to? Now, now think again. Does this sound bad? But is this good? Is this medicine that will heal us? See, this is God blessing. This isn't God cursing. Look at verse 11. I will cause all of her mirth to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. Hey, no, we ain't going to celebrate anymore. These are all the things God commanded. Why would God stop the things he commanded? Because he's not interested in you going through the motions. See? He's interested in you doing the right thing for the right reason. So he's like, we're, not, we're done checking the boxes. Verse 12, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees of which she has said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. Hmm. So I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry, and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. But me, she forgot. See, when we when we sin, when we chase after idols, when we forget God, we convince ourselves that He's not there. When we make grace a thing, see, we get Him out of the picture. See, in the moment that we're tempted to do something we know is wrong, it's easy to think, well, it's going to be forgiven. He knew I was going to be there. But what we don't want to think is there's him right next to us. We don't want to imagine his face right there looking into us, tears running down his face. No, no, we just want it to be a thing. We could do anything to a thing, but it's not a thing. It's a person. And this person, you know what he does? He doesn't wag his finger in our face or smash us or crush us. Or... He stands in our path. He blocks up our path of destruction to get our attention. See, God has no rivals. Okay? So how can a how can a God who has no rival be jealous? See, in order for jealousy to exist, there must be the existence of a rivalry. There must be the existence of a threat. But if God has no rival, then how can he feel jealous? Unless his jealousy is different than ours. 
See, he's a jealous God. But he's not jealous because he's threatened by the things that we pursue. He's jealous because he sees someone he loves in danger. He sees the threat. He sees the destruction. He sees the devastation that we're headed towards. That's why he's jealous for us. Because he knows that what we're doing will only lead to our hurt. And because he loves us, our hurt is his hurt. And so he stands in our path to get our attention. And so there's verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Will bring her into, what's the word? The wilderness. And speak comfort to her. You see? Do you see the picture of this God that we serve? When we're chasing after other lovers, when we're committing adultery against him and breaking his heart, he'll, he'll hedge us in. He'll block our way. He, he's, he, he will do whatever he has to do to get us to see that those things won't work. He sends us out into the wilderness and it feels like punishment, doesn't it? It feels like, God, why am I in the wilderness? Why am I in the wilderness? Because he loves you, that's why. If he didn't love you, he'd let you keep chasing. But he blocks you in, and he sends you into the wilderness. Why? Because it's the only thing that untwists our love. It's the only way any of us, listen, if you tell me that you came to faith in Christ when everything in your life is perfect, you are lost. That did not happen. That did not happen. You found God the same way we all did. In the wilderness. Because there's a rock in the wilderness. And that rock can give shade. And that rock can give water. And warmth and protection. But it's not about all those things that the rock can give. It's about that rock. The wilderness is where we encounter God. Because the rock's there. Remember a few months ago? 1 Corinthians 10. What did Paul say? They all ate of the same spiritual food and all drank of the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. 
The rock that gives honey is Jesus. It's Jesus. And he's in the wilderness. And the reason we're here this morning is because we, we chased other lovers. But we kept running into wall after wall after wall. We kept coming up empty, empty, empty. All week, all I could think about is those years leading up to my conversion and just my longing and my frustration and why, why doesn't anything work and why can't I find satisfaction and why? Why do I keep thinking that I can somehow build something and it's going to fulfill me, it's going to make me happy, I'm finally going to have all these things that I want and I try and I try and I try and it just keeps going, it's just empty and empty and empty until finally I just... Give up. And I raise my head up out of the darkness and realize there's nothing left. There's no one there. But there's a rock in the distance. What is that rock? What is that thing? And I realize it's a person. And he's followed me. All this time, he's followed me. He followed you. He followed you. He, he's not, grace isn't a thing. Grace was there when you were sinning. Grace is right there. Tears running down his face. Every time you choose to go against him, every time you choose to forsake him, all your life when you didn't even know the rock was real, he followed you. That's who this God is. He followed you and me. All those dark, wicked days. There he was, following me. Waiting for me to find him and only him. So why? Why does God... Blesses people by withdrawing blessing? Well, some of it has to do with because we don't know the definition of blessing. Because he wants us to recognize not only that blessings come from him, but that he himself is the true blessing. You see, you see now how different it is? Every day that, that I could wake up every day of my life and I realize there's the rock. And when the water flows, I'm like, thank God for the water. It came from the rock. And when the shade comforts me and I say, thank God for the peace, it's the shade that comes from the rock. It's from the rock. You just give the rock the credit. And, this, and then, Liz, here's the thing. And when you need it the most, 
You know what happens? When you think there's no way this is going to work out, there's no way this could possibly be what, what it, it, any redeeming quality in it whatsoever. In that moment, honey flows right out of that rock. And we just stand there bewildered like the rock did that. He did it. He's my rock. I want him to be yours. I want you to know the rock, the person. Stop breaking God's heart. He loves you in ways you cannot fathom.